Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Well, as we get started, uh, I feel the need uh, to apologize uh, right from the top. Uh, We have been secretly taping uh, conversations in your living room as you drive from place to place, all of those spats where you come out and for the rest of us, you put on your smiley face and we don't see what's been going on. Uh, We have, we've been secretly taping those. Uh, And here are some of the top phrases uh, that we have heard as we've gained that footage. Are you listening to me at all? How can I be guilty of hurting your feelings if that's not even what I meant to say? That sounds just like a man, just like a woman. Would you just tell me what it is I am supposed to say, and I'll be happy to say it. Why am I the only one who ever says I'm sorry? Um, What are we even arguing about anyway? What started this? What can I say when you don't trust me? If I listen the way that you want me to listen, then you will always get to be right. Um, I know it's important to you, but it just doesn't interest me. I'm sorry. When we talk about serious things, I just have to face things about myself that I don't really like. I can't help it. This is the, you knew I was this way when you married me. Why are you trying to change me now? Uh, I know it's important, but I just don't have the energy to talk about it right now. Can we, can we talk about it later? Now that we've been married for 5, 10, 20, 30 years... What are we supposed to talk about? I mean, haven't we already talked about everything that there is and know everything that there is to know about each other? I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to hear me. Why do you always think I'm insinuating something about your insecurity? What I was saying didn't have anything to do with that. That question doesn't really leave me feeling safe. Why do we always have to talk about things that need to be improved? Why can't we just enjoy and talk about the things that are already good? Would you just stop and look at me when we talk and quit checking the cabinets in your phone and everything else? I didn't know what to say, and so I, I was just quiet and backed away. I don't even know what a meaningful conversation is. How can I be guilty of not having one? Um, I I told you this conversation was not going to go anywhere good when you brought it up. Um, It. um, How how do we even have this conversation? I know we're talking about the same thing, but we're just coming from such two different places that I don't even know how to have this conversation. If people at church knew you talked to me this way, they'd take their Bible away from you. Um, Why does it feel like our conversations never have a beginning and a middle 
and an end. They have a beginning and a middle and another beginning and a beginning and a beginning and a middle and an end to a conversation that was three conversations. Why, why don't our conversations ever feel like they have a beginning and a middle and an end that, that go together all at one time? Again, if you've said those things, and we know you have, uh, I, I want you to know that, that there's a lot of hope in that because those are the kinds of things that we want to address in this kind of seminar on communication. And so let's pick up with our first chapter. Uh, why, is, why is communication hard? And, and oftentimes, we come to an event like this, and we hear lots of good ideas, but uh, we, we try to take those good tools and we put them in an old, broken system. Uh, and as has been said many times, you can't fix a problem with the same kind of thinking that we use to create it. And so what we want to do in this first chapter is just to identify what are some of those common challenges in communication, those things that are almost so obvious that we have a hard time seeing them because they're right there all the time. And so the first one of those, um, Dennis Rainey helps us get started. He says, authentic communication is much more than just talking. It is understanding and being understood. And, and as we look at some of the challenges there, uh, one of the challenges is there's just lots of different types of communication. Uh, there's planning, dreaming, there's nonverbal and verbal communication, there's updating each other on our day, uh, there's listening, there's sharing emotions, there's complimenting one another, uh, processing difficult events, factual communication, resolving conflict, uh, all different kinds of communication. So in some ways, if I ask you, do you communicate well? You and your spouse could easily both say yes and be talking about very different things. Think of it this way. If you ask two people, are you a good athlete? They could both say yes. And they could be talking about things as different as football and swimming. And they could both be right. And they could both have a very hard time playing together. Well, that often happens in communication because most of us have areas that we're successful at. Types of things that have to do with our, uh, our job or our circle of friends. And there's a certain kind of communication uh, that is required and prevalent in those domains. And, and when we're in that setting, it works really well. And we go, I don't understand why you don't understand me when everybody else in my world does. And it may be that when we say, yes, I communicate fine with everybody else in my life. We're talking about a particular type of communication and we're telling the truth. It's just that in a home environment, we're required to have a greater breadth of communication skills when we share all of life together than we do in a more of a niche environment with our employment or with our social network. Now, in this seminar on communication, uh, the kinds of communication skills that we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at a, a fairly narrow subset. We're going to look at listening, we're going to look at day-to-day -day communication, 
And then we're going to look at conflict resolution skills. In the seminar that we do on decision-making, that's when we look at those communication skills built around planning and building consensus and headship and submission. And then when we get to the, the seminar on intimacy, that's when we'll look at romantic communication and the different varieties that come there. So when you come to this seminar and we say, hey, there are so many different kinds of communication, what are we going to focus on here? It's listening, day-to-day communication, and conflict resolution. Now, another thing that makes communication hard is just that we all think and process information differently. I mean, if I were to ask you, how would you approach buying a new car, uh, finding a way to relax, or deciding whether a particular conflict is worth having? Chances are, you and your spouse process that kind of decision differently. And often, this is where all the different metaphors Uh, that are part of a marital seminar like this come into play, where we talk about things like love languages and learning styles, personality types, uh, differences between men and women, temperaments. We're looking at some of those aspects of how we process information differently, what things we value differently. And at different times and places, different ones of those can be beneficial. Now, what can be dangerous is when a counselor or an individual falls into that habit to where, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, And we try to take this one thing that works really well, and we try to apply it to everything. Uh, Probably the clearest example that I got of that is I was reading a book on blended families. And as I was reading this particular author, he did a great job of drawing out how birth order plays a significant role in the conflict that exists within a blended family. And if you think about it for a moment, that makes a lot of sense. Because you can have a child who was the firstborn and one parent's gone and they're kind of taking on a strong leadership role and that parent who cares for them marries somebody else and all of a sudden they become a middle-born or youngest child in that new family. And that's a radically different world. And I thought, this is great. And then I picked up I wanted to read something else by this guy. So I picked up another book where he was talking about depression. And sure enough, he was still talking about birth order. And it was, this thing worked really well in this area. And then when I was reading him talk about depression, I was just thinking, it, this tool doesn't work as well in this experience. And so when you come to different metaphors or tools, one of the questions to ask is, Is this a good fit for our marriage for this struggle? Um, And and sometimes when we find one that clicks for us in one area or it clicks for somebody else and we think it's going to work, we begin to treat those things as if they were a panacea, as if they cured everything, instead of they were one particular tool that can be good for a few different tasks. Now, uh, another couple of quotes that just help us face some of the challenges of marital communication. John Henderson, he says, Words do not primarily express our culture, our family, um, or our biochemistry, but our souls. When our words are unkind and ungrateful, no one else is to blame. Such words come from inside of us. Uh, Paul Tripp hits a similar uh, notion. He says, 
if you minimize the heart struggle that both of you have carried into your marriage, here's what will happen. You will tend to turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. This leads to the second thing that happens. The reason we turn moments of ministry into moments of anger is that we tend to personalize that which is not personal. And we, we ask, what kind of challenges do those quotes bring up? Uh, and one is, if we honor our spouse in moments of conflict, it's going to feel like we are saying they are right. Let me offer you a couple of definitions of honor that I think are very important and foundational for everything that we're going to set up. What, to honor someone in communication is to fairly represent what they say in tone and content. If in the course of my conversation with you, I don't like what you have to say, and in order to begin to win in that conversation, I change the content or tone of what you said to make it seem silly or foolish so that I am at a competitive advantage in this conversation, I have dishonored you. I have hijacked your words in no less of a degree than if I took the keys out of your pocket, went and took your car without your permission, and went on a joyride in Raleigh-Durham. I have hijacked your words when I do not fairly represent the tone and content of what you say. Now here's a second definition of honor. Honor is a willingness to lose an argument before I misrepresent or vilify you in that communication. There's, there's, there's a degree of sacrifice involved in honor. If I'm going to honor you in conversation, it means acknowledging that you may be right and I may be wrong. And I have to be more willing to lose the conversation than to dishonor you by vilifying or misrepresenting you. And if I do that, if I treat what you say with that degree of honor, then it's going to mean that I present what you say very reasonably. And it's going to feel like I am saying you are right or I'm giving credibility to what you're saying at a time when my agenda just wants to compete with that. And, and I have to recognize that temptation inside of me that wants to change what you say, to distort it, even if it's just in tone, to come out to where I win. And another part of that, um, and it kind of builds on it, is that communication forces us to face things about ourselves uh, that we don't like. The closer I am with somebody in those moments of communication, the more of those unpleasant sides of me show up in our interaction. Um, and so think of it this way. And I think this is so important to set our expectations for a seminar like this. The goal of our seminar is not for me to teach you how to say everything perfectly in every interaction that you have from this point forward. It's not. And that's what many of us want, is, 
is we want to come to something like this and, and we want to learn how to never mess up in our communication. It's just, it's not going... Imagine with me. Imagine that I were capable of communicating so clearly, so articulately, with so many excellent examples that you left here feeling like you were going to get every communication exchange perfect. I would have to do one of two things to you that would be spiritually unhealthy. I would either have to turn you into a perfectionistic legalist who expected to get everything right, for whom there was very little grace to ever make a mistake, because that guy told us what we were supposed to do. So I either would have to make you into a perfectionistic legalist, or I would have to give you excuses why everything that you did wrong was not really your fault. And you could blame your spouse because they didn't meet your needs, or you could blame your parents because of whatever it is that they did that was so messed up, or, or just we could find some way. And I don't think either one of those alternatives serves us well. Because one of the things that we'll want to see in the midst of this seminar is that conflict done well can be the best friend of your marriage. It can be that moment where we begin to realize that to honor one another in the midst of our difference begins to make this incredibly safe environment where we can grow, where we can be authentic, where we can acknowledge our weaknesses, where we can be loved in spite of our faults as we become what it is that God has called us to be, acknowledging that we're just not there yet. And unless a seminar like this frames communication that way, then it's not really giving us a helpful gospel-centered perspective on what we're after. Again, picking up on some more challenges. Winston Smith, he says, We are tempted to recast both Jesus and love in the image of our personal desires. And then he gives a personal example. And if you know Winston... Winston is one of those nicest people you've ever met kind of people. And he says, and his thing was, he just never wanted to disappoint or let down his wife. He says, I began to meditate on this paradox. Jesus loves people, and yet they're disappointed in him. And he tries to make that first person. He says, my duty is to love my wife, not to be perfect. In fact, sometimes loving her may well disappoint her. Sometimes we suffer in our marriages because we labor under a false understanding of love built upon the foundation of our own desires and fears. And um, again, oftentimes we just define what it means to love as whatever we want magnified. Whatever we like best magnified. And what happens when we do that is our pet peeves begin to take on a moral significance. And we all have preferences. Part of what I hope this seminar does is make our preferences much safer uh, to talk about. But what often happens within a marriage is whatever those preferences and pet peeves are, they begin to take on a moral weight. I've seen couples where 
if one or the other is not speaking the love language of the other, they take it as a personal offense. As if somehow it is vulgar to love me in a way that is not my love language. That, that this is what I like and it's offensive to me for you to love me in some other way because this is what I want. Or you get in the classic battle of like the toilet seat and whether it's up and down. And if you really loved me, you would, you know, whatever we would do. Is, and it's just, all of a sudden we begin to base the quality of our marriage on these kinds of pet peeve type of issues. It, uh, I would say uh, that one of the strongest predictors of how well a couple does conflict is how well they handle their pet peeves. Their preferences. Can we hold them with a loose hand? Or do these become the measure of all things? Um, it, um, one way to, to test for that. When you are talking about things that are important to you that aren't morally significant. Again, it's not you lied to me. It's not you cheated. It's just these are the things that I like. Does your communication take on a parental tone? Are you still talking to your spouse? Or does it begin to sound like you're talking to your child? Because if we are talking about something that's a matter of preference, and we take that kind of condescending tone where we are talking down, then it has taken a moral weight that it doesn't deserve. And the really bad thing is, is it won't even be satisfying when we get it after that. Um, another challenge here. The impersonal begins to become personal. And the clearest example that I have for this uh, is not so much a marital example, um, but it's me when I coach my sons uh, playing baseball. Uh, and, and I, if you come to many of these at all, you've heard plenty of baseball stories where I'm coaching my boys. Uh, and I can remember the first t-ball game of the sun. We were there, we had practiced, we were fundamentally sound. During the course of this season, my t-ball team was going to turn legit double plays. Uh, I mean, we were tight as a baseball team. I am kind of that dad when it comes to those things. But this is not a made-up story. I am sitting at the tee with the leadoff hitter, who is not my son. I, I'm about to put the ball on the tee. I turn around, and there is my son leading the conga line in the dugout with all the other players. I was immediately angry. It was personal. We don't do that. Anybody else's boy does that. And it's cute. But there was something about that. That was the coach's son. I, it was, I was taking something that wasn't personal. But the immediate response was to go, that reflects on me. That's about me. And it, it wasn't. And we tend to do that within our marriages. The kinds of things that somebody else does, and it would be cute or endearing or just kind of, okay, we'll roll with the punches. We begin to take it personally. And we didn't really do that probably when we were dating, but there's something about that aspect of marriage 
uh, where we begin to do that. And we have to be on guard and to be aware of that or else it becomes destructive uh, to the marriage communication. Um, Winston Smith again. He says, The attitude of earning love is disastrous in marriage. It leads to anger. Uh, if I think I'm winning, if I think I'm doing more than you, or insecurity, if I feel like I'm losing, if I don't feel like I'm being as good to you as you are to me. Spouses who believe they've earned or deserve love angrily demand it or toil anxiously to avoid using it. The principle captured in the phrase, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, tells us that in conflict, being right and doing right uh, aren't always the same thing. And, uh, you know, just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, that within communication, uh, there is an emotional momentum that shapes what we hear. Uh, we experience this every day. We can hear this, we can have the same experience, hear the same thing on a good day, and we just experience it or hear it differently than if it happens on a bad day. Uh, and in any given interaction, the level of trust and openness and vulnerability that we have in our marriage is going to shape uh, what we hear. And one of the things that we need to realize, that what I hear in any given exchange says as much about me as it does about you. I mean, think about that with me. We've, we've experienced this. We know this. If I've just got a bad attitude, if I'm in a foul mood and you say something to me, it gets filtered through my own rottenness. And it just comes across differently. And so what I hear says as much about my own emotional momentum as it does what you say. And I need to be reminded of that so that I listen with humility. And that's why we would say good communication requires healthy humility. Um, and, and that, kind of summarizing that, maybe in a different way. Healthy communication is a disposition before it is a skill set. And sometimes we come here and we want to learn the skills. And yes, we are going to take time to talk through skills. But skills alone will never make us an effective communicator. Skills may teach you to stand up somewhere like this and give a presentation, but we all know that effective communication within marriage is not a presentation. It's not a one-way thing. It's not just getting my ideas across. Uh, what we want in marital communication is this kind of give and take of understanding and being understood, and that requires a disposition of humility that values what you have to say and what's going on in your world more than it is getting across what I'm thinking and what's going on in my world. And that's why Leslie Varenick would bring us to the point that she would say, in all healthy relationships, the well-being of the other person is important to us even when we're mad, tired, or busy. And, and part of what we have to do is we have to be willing to lay down our excuses before we will ever take up the hope that the gospel offers.
And I hope what we've done in, in this first hour here, is, or, or first chapter, is given us better eyes to see what some of those challenges are. Because uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us there's, there's no temptation except that which is common to man. Everything that we've talked about are the kinds of things that all of us face. But God will give us a way of escape. But we have to see it. We have to be able to hear it. And I hope what we've done here is not beat ourselves up and go, ah, if we do these things, then somehow you're you know, like a flunky spouse. No. It's just to say these are the kinds of things that we all struggle with in communication that we need to be able to see in the moments that they happen so that we can lay down the excuses that attach to them and take up the hope that the gospel gives us.